Spirit. Of course, we began with the idea that fruit must first be planted before it can ever grow. Then we talked about joy and peace, the result of a well-tended garden. Brother Roger Campbell came to us and he spoke on love, the soil from which all other fruit grows. Long-suffering, sometimes painful to grow, but always pleasant to harvest. We talked about kindness and goodness, having the right attitude even when the soil is hard. Righteousness, and the sermon on righteousness was that it is never rotten. Temperance and self-control, Brother Dale Barger talked about guarding against pests that destroy fruit. We talked about truth. Fruit must first have light if it's going to grow. That's Brother J.C. calling me, by the way. I'll have to give him a call back. Then faith. Brother Steve Plemons from Sell Creek talked about faith, the fertilizer of faithfulness. And then last week, Brother Roy Whitey from the DeRossett Congregation talked about meekness and gentleness, pruning and planting with a gentle hand. Well, we have come to the conclusion of our summer series, and I hope that uh, the congregation has enjoyed it as much as I have. I think it's been uh, wonderful uh, material that each one of these brethren came and and uh, brought to us and presented to us. And tonight, I'm so pleased to have Brother Tyler Gilreath with us. His topic tonight is, what is growing in your garden? Hopefully it's some of these manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. But Brother Tyler comes to us from the Riverbend congregation down in Dalton, Georgia. He and his good wife Nikki are here tonight, and they brought their daughter uh, Kinsley. And I haven't seen that little girl since she was a baby. Now, she doesn't remember me. And, of course, Connor is with them also. That's their son. He's two years old. And uh, Tyler and I spent a year together in school. He came after I had finished my first year. And uh, so he graduated. That would put him graduating in 2010. And he's been with the Riverbend congregation since then. And uh, that's a testament to him and that good congregation. And so uh, we're so glad that he's here with us tonight. Uh, glad to get, uh, have gotten to see him and his wife, Nikki, again. Brother, come speak to us. Sounds like you have had a great uh, summer series. Uh, I can just stand up here and say, well, that's all, folks. Uh, they kind of they said it all, but uh, I guess I need to stand up here and, and say a little bit more than that. Uh, but I want to say thank you for the invitation. Brother J.C. Watkins, he called me. Uh, I love him very much. He's near and dear to me. He, he called me, uh, it seems like last October, uh, we were in Disney World, and, and uh, he called me and, and said, hey, I want you to come speak on our summer series. So uh, I told him I'd be honored to do that. And uh, first time I've been able to speak here, uh, maybe some of you know my family, my, my dad or my grandfather, uh, Barry Gilreath, both of them are Barry Gilreath, and so uh, I'm sure they've been here a time or two, but it's great to be able to be here tonight, and uh, I'm thankful to be able to speak on this topic, what's in your garden. Now, there's a popular credit card slogan that some of you may have seen on TV. Uh, it's, what's in your wallet? Well, we're not going to think about necessarily what's in our wallet tonight, but we're going to think about what's in our gardens. Now, I am the last speaker in this summer series, so 
you've heard detailed messages uh, about the specific fruits of the Spirit that the Bible articulates uh, very clearly. And so I'm not going to get into necessarily specific fruits of the Spirit because you've had lessons on those. But let's all remind ourselves what those fruits are. If we look in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 26, this will be the last, again, the last lesson in the series. Let's read what we've studied so far in our series. Paul's writing in Galatians 5, he says, Now the works of the flesh, he says, are manifest, which are these? And he goes on to list them. He says, Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies. And he says in verse 21, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he goes on to tell us what we need to have in our lives. And this is what you've been studying. He says in verse 22, but the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is what? Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affection and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. What I want to do tonight is, as we think about what's in our gardens... What's in our lives? I want us to think about a really unusual passage that sometimes gets overlooked in the life of Jesus Christ. It's in several places. It's in Mark 11 and Matthew 21. But it's the account in the Bible where Jesus has something to say about a particular tree. Um, and something about the tree not producing fruit. Because what we're talking about in this series is how you and I need to be people who produce fruit. We need to have vegetables. We need to have fruit in our garden. So I want us to go and look at Matthew 21 and Mark 11. Let me read a few verses to set the context of what I want to talk about tonight with you. If you look in Matthew 21 and Mark 11, Matthew 21, 19, uh, around there, or some other places in Mark 11, 14, around there. But let me just read a few verses, kind of a conglomeration of these two passages. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, Jesus was, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. His disciples heard it as they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you have cursed has withered. Now, in our text here, it was probably around Monday, April 3rd, uh, in the year A.D. 30. In fact, it's the, it's the week before Jesus Christ uh, would go to save my soul and go to save your soul on Calvary. It's that time in his life and Christ is making final preparations to do the job of saving all of humanity. His work is almost finished, but not finished yet. He has to die on behalf of sinful man, and he still has to uh, make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem here. So Jesus, in this passage, I find very interesting that Jesus was hungry. 
You say, well, why is that important? Jesus was hungry. Well, it, it gives us a glimpse into the human side of Jesus. Uh, because when I think about Jesus, my Lord, how can I relate to Him? He's God in the flesh. I mean, He, he created all things. How, how can I relate to Jesus? Well, here's a passage that teaches us that He's like us. He could hunger, He could hurt, He could rejoice and weep, He could be angry, he could, he could have all these emotions that sometimes we have and we think God cannot relate to these emotions, but He can. The Bible says here that He was hungry, He needed food. And expressions like this teach us about the humanity of Jesus Christ. The humanity that He had to be just like us. You know, it's a great mystery to think, why would God send His only begotten Son into the world to save somebody like me? Somebody like you. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ, Paul calls it in Ephesians 3.8. There, there's so much we don't understand about why God does what He does. We don't deserve His love. We don't deserve His sacrifice, but He did it. And Christ came to be someone like me who can get hungry. To be someone like you who could be dealing with a sickness. He's just like us in all points. He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. Now... Matthew records back here in our text, Matthew 21, 19. Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, and Mark says this. He says, seeing the fig tree afar off having leaves, Mark eleven thirteen, he came if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Now, know this, that the fig tree was very valuable... Very, very valuable in the place of Palestine. And it's the nature of the fig tree to put on fruit first and then grow leaves. Okay, I want you to remember that. It's the nature of the fig tree to first put on fruit and then grow leaves. So what was the deal? The, the deal was that the appearance of leaves indicates that the tree should already be bearing fruit. In other words, the tree was advertising, hey... I have fruit, come, I, I have, you can eat, eat, on, eat on my tree. I am producing fruit, I am advertising I have fruit. That's the message that the tree was sending. This actually reminds me about a particular parable that's similar to this story. Luke chapter 13, verse number 6, where a man is disappointed uh, in a particular fig tree in his vineyard. It's unfruitful and he wants to cut it down, but... If you remember in that passage, he's persuaded. He's persuaded by the vineyard to give it more one more year, to give it more time. See, if no fruit is born, then the tree has to be cut down. What's the point of that? Well, the point of that particular parable was that we have a limited amount of time to get it right. We have a limited amount of time to repent of our sin. Because there's a time coming where keeper of the vineyard, of the garden, he'll have to cut us down. I want us to see in this lesson tonight the seriousness of what we're talking about, the seriousness to do 
what we're talking about and do it right now. We're talking about bearing fruit in our lives. We have to bear fruit. And if you look back in our text here, Christ looks upon the tree and He curses, uh, or rather He pronounces a, a curse against it, a curse against the tree. And this is one of the most peculiar verses in all the Bible, really. In fact, I, I preached part of this lesson in, in a series I did back home entitled Stranger Things. Uh, there's some strange things in the Bible, and this is one of the strange things of the New Testament. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh who created all things, is now saying a pronouncement, a, a curse upon this tree, and the curse is this. He says, No man eat fruit of the tree hereafter forever, and his disciples heard it. I mean, this doesn't sound like something Jesus would normally do, right? Jesus cursing a tree. Jesus killing a tree. It doesn't seem like the one who created all things, the one that would die for our sin, and now he's here in this text, and he's cursing a tree. Have you ever thought about why? Why is he cursing a tree? It's important that the disciples saw that the tree was without fruit. And folks, it's important that they heard the Lord pronounce a sentence against this useless tree. But why? Why was it so important? Jesus had about a week left in His life. He had to do a lot of things. Imagine if you had a week left in your life, what would you do in that week? Well, you might say, well, I need to make sure the life insurance is paid up, you know. Uh, I need to make sure I have a will. The kids are going to be taken care of. I need to make sure uh, things are in order for the funeral. Uh, Jesus had a week left, and now He's here, and He's here in the country, and He's cursing a tree. Why? Because He wants His disciples to see what a fruitless tree is. Because Jesus is teaching them the tragedy of fruitlessness in the Lord's kingdom. The, the real tragedy that there is in our lives when we have a garden and there's nothing in it. He wants us to see how ugly and how tragic it is for us to have the ability to have the fruits of the Spirit which you have studied about in your series and not apply those things to your life. And so he takes time out of this very important week to pronounce a curse, a curse on this tree. And he wants his disciples to see it, and he wants them to hear it. And folks, we're told that the next day, the fig tree was dried up from the roots. We cannot doubt for a moment that this whole transaction, this whole story about Jesus cursing the tree was an emblem of spiritual things. It was a, a parable in deeds. It was just as powerful as the parables that Jesus spoke with His mouth. Now I want you to think about what's growing in your garden. And I'm not talking about tomatoes or, or cucumbers or, or anything that you might have squash growing in your garden. I want you to think about what this series is about. Spiritual things. Let's think about what Jesus Christ was trying to teach His disciples. But more importantly, let's think about what Jesus Christ is trying to teach us even here tonight. Because we've been blessed to have the written Word of God. We've been blessed to be able to read this rather strange story about Jesus cursing a tree. But it's in the Bible for a very important reason. It's in the Bible so that you may understand it, Learn from it and follow it. 
There's several things I want you to know tonight that we're going to study about. I don't have really many points, I just have a couple. But Jesus wants us to learn, number one, about the dangers of unfruitfulness and formality sometimes that can be in our religion. Contextually, that's what Jesus was trying to teach. The story here is wedged between chapters where uh, Jesus would deal with really the wasteland that the Jewish religion had become and how there were a lot of bells and whistles in their worship and their synagogues, you know, all in their clothes. Uh, and uh, it looked like on the outside, man, they really had it together, man. Their garden was jam-packed of, uh, of uh, luscious vegetation. Their, their, their garden was jam-packed with, with juicy tomatoes. But when you began to really inspect the fruit that was in their life, it was nothing. I wonder sometimes, I ask myself when I, when I study uh, these passages about the Jewish people and the, the wasteland that their religion has become, I want to ask us tonight, is sometimes, is our worship to God maybe similar to what He was trying to teach against? And I'm not talking about the, the acts of worship. I understand we, we do those scripturally. Those things are right. Those things are good. Those things are expected of God. I'm not talking about those things. But folks, we have to be very careful not to worship in you know beautiful buildings such as this with vaulted ceilings and, and gold-like fixtures and, and think that that's what worship is all about. That's what the Jews thought. We've got to be so careful not to spend all of our time, you know, picking out the, the best clothes and, you know, making sure that all the wrinkles are out, you know, make sure the tie is right, you know, make sure that uh, the dress is the right color and, and, and the hat is the right size. We, we have to make sure that we're not spending all the time doing that and that we forget about the most important fruit that we can bear on Sunday morning. What, what is that? It, it, it's bearing fruit for God. It's bearing fruit in our hearts. We've got to be careful that we don't get so focused on our public prayers in saying the right word in the right way, in saying thee and thou, that we forget the one to whom we are praying. We're praying to God. We're praying to the one who created all things. Do we see the lesson that Jesus Christ is trying to teach them? He's trying to teach them that, look, there's a lot of danger in formality, there, there can be a lot of danger in some of these things that even we do today because we do them on a regular basis. We get so hard and so cold to what Jesus Christ is trying to teach. Listen, is, is your worship full of leaves week after week after week? Sunday after Sunday, you bear no fruit. One thing I want you to learn from this lesson is talking about what's in your garden. Worship's very important. Don't be someone that is full of leaves and has no fruit. Something else I want us to learn, and it's something that I need to be reminded of pretty often. Jesus wants us to learn that Fruitless Christians, people that have empty gardens. He wants us to learn that fruitless Christians 
may fool a lot of people, but folks, we can't fool God. We cannot fool God. I, I you know, when I when I was a kid, I I used to think I could fool my parents, you know, and you come up with all these concoctions and tricks. And I remember one time, uh, me and my brother were fighting, and we deserved a, a real spanking, a serious spanking with a belt. And I deserved every minute of it. And I can remember uh, my brother trying to, you know, put some pillows down in his in his pants, thinking he could fool dad. You know, he wouldn't feel the spanking. Well, you, you you can't fool your earthly father. Now, if you can't fool your earthly father very often, do you really think you're going to fool the God of heaven, the one who made everything? Sometimes we convince ourselves that we can fool God. And folks, there may even be some people here today. I know if I was in my congregation tonight and I was preaching this lesson, uh, there would probably be people in my congregation today, in any congregation today, that has people in the congregation that seemingly is full, full of fruit. Why? Because the way we judge people sometimes, the way we figure this thing out is we say, you know, brother so-and-so is always there. He's always there on Sunday morning or he's always there on Sunday night. And and that's pretty much the way that we gauge how much fruit is in their garden or how many vegetables are in their garden, you know. We we judge sometimes on the uh, outward appearance of things. and, And sometimes we think that we can even fool God by having no fruit, no vegetables, and only leaves. You know, we, we we like to sometimes, you know, maybe carry our Bible around or, or you know, sometimes we like to check in uh, on Facebook, you know, hey, we're at worship today. Hey, look, I'm, I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm not saying that I, I do those things. But what I'm saying is understand that you may fool some people. I can fool some people. But none of us, none of us can fool God. Listen, there's a passage in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 22. Look at it with me. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. What's he saying there? What's, what's the point? What's the take-home message of that Old Testament scripture that was uh, take that took place many years ago? What's the point of it? The point is that fruit is better than leaves. Fruit is better than leaves. Obedience is better than sacrifice because we can fool a lot of people with our sacrifice. We can fool a lot of Christians in the church because we're here and we're worshiping God. But folks, the Bible is always consistent when it says that fruit is better than leaves. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And as a whole, what we do as Christian people is we spend way too much time showing off our leaves. But you know what? We're not here to show off leaves. We we are here to be fruitful disciples. Look at John 15, verse number 2 with me. This is a great passage. We're talking about bearing fruit. We're thinking about Jesus. We're thinking about the fruit that needs to be in my garden. Let's remind ourselves some things here in John 15, verse number 2. It says, If, or rather, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he taketh away. So what are you saying, Tyler? Uh, Are you saying that this is a matter of salvation? Are you saying that this is a big deal to God? 
look at verse number 6. It says in verse number 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. How serious is God about us bearing fruit in our lives? He's very serious. In fact, Paul warned the Gentile Christians that they would be cut off from God if they did not bear fruit. In Romans chapter 11, verses 19 through 23, Paul writes, Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Verse 21 says, For if God spared not the natural branches, which were the Jews, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity but thee, toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise... Thou will be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Are you, are you seeing a pattern in the Bible, in this series, about the importance of having some fruit in your garden? The, the importance of, of bearing the, the fruit of the Spirit... Look, in Colossians 1, verse 10, Paul writes that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Can you relate to me on this? Um, sometimes, sometimes I get a little stressed about not bearing enough fruit for God. Is there anybody that can relate to that? I mean, you, you read passages like this, you, you hear sermons like this, and you begin to evaluate your own life, and, and you begin to get a little worried that you're not bearing enough fruit for God. Listen, I, I want you to remember this. I, I want you to remember this about bearing fruit for God. The thing I want us to remember is the vineyard is not yours. The vineyard is not yours. It is God's. There's no mistaking this principle. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And at the very beginning of the passage, He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. My Father is the vine dresser. He's the owner of the vineyard. You know, we, we as people, we have a real tendency to make things uh, ours that aren't ours, you know. We... And it starts at a really young age. Uh, I have a two-year-old son in, in Connor. Kinsley's seven. And, you know, one of the things I learned as soon as they start talking is they begin to learn some very powerful one-word sentences. You know what those are? Mine. Right? Or no. Mine. No. It's, it's amazing how quickly they learn those type of words. It's amazing that they can get their grubby little hands on a, on a piece of plastic or get their grubby little hands on you know a piece of trash that really has no value at all, but they say it's theirs and they want it, you know? It's, it's unbelievable. Now, the, the problem with this is it doesn't always go away when we get 20 or 30 or 50 or 70, does it? 
I mean, it doesn't always go away when when we get a little bit older in age. You know, you would think that it might go away, but it doesn't always go away because I think about sometimes some of the things that we think belong to us, you know, like the vineyard, We sometimes we think the vineyard belongs to us. No, there's some things in our life that we think belong to us and they don't. Let me give you an example. But God, that was my good health. God, that was my good health. I want it back. It's mine. I don't want the disease. I'm tired of feeling the way I'm feeling. I'm scared. I don't want the surgery. I'm sick of the treatment. It's not fair. It costs too much money. God, it's my health and I want it back. Can you relate to that? God, God, I earned that money. God, I earned that money. Why did the stock market have to crash? The stock market had to crash. God, I earned that money. That was my retirement, and now it's gone. God says the man by the fresh grave, but God, she was mine. But God, says the mother, staring at the empty room of her 18-year-old son, he was just a little boy. I liked him that way, and now he's gone. He was mine. But God says to the young adult, this, this was my future. I planned it. I worked for it. I went to school for it. I made the, 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 I, I got the promotions. I did the work. God, it's mine. And I don't, I don't want to change midstream. God, why am I, why am I going through this transition in my work? But God says the church member, God, I gave years of my time to that church. But God, I gave thousands of dollars to that church and, and sweat of that church, God, and now we have new people coming in the church and they're taking my seat, you know? Or, or, they're, or they're changing the time of worship, and, and God, I don't like it, I want it back, God, it's mine. No, says God to the two-year-old and all of us, it wasn't yours. He wasn't yours. She wasn't yours. It wasn't yours. The church wasn't yours. You're not even yours. You belong to me. It's my garden. It's my vineyard. From the moment God issued the first of His Ten Commandments, He told us. He says, I'm a jealous God. I am a jealous God, he told us he would not tolerate any other gods, that he would not relinquish his right to be God. And what you and I sometimes do is we try to take what's God's and hold it near and dear and say it's mine. Why am I saying all this? Because sometimes we get so worked up about not producing enough fruit that first we need to stop and realize that, look, number one, it's not mine. That means that there's somebody better than me, who knows more than me, who's greater than me, that's going to take care of it. It's not mine, it's God's. No, look, the church isn't going anywhere, folks. It's God's. It's God's. The the, the church is not going to dwindle down and, and cease to exist. It's God's. It belongs to Him. Can you imagine in a garden... In your garden that you have at home, can you imagine that garden? And you go out to that garden, and that gardener, uh, 
that you in the garden, you're, you're gardening your garden. Can you imagine your, your, your plants telling you how they need to be uh, watered? Can you imagine your plants arguing with you? You know, can, can you imagine your, your tomatoes saying, now look, I'm not ready to be picked, you need to wait a few more days. I mean, does that make sense that the plants in the garden dictate to the gardener how things are to be done? No, that's not how it works. The gardener knows what's best for the plants, cultivates it, works it, cuts it, removes it, fertilizes it, waters it, covers it, sprays it. And a good plant trusts the gardener. There may be no harder principle to put into practice for many believers than this first one. When it comes to this spiritual notion of bearing fruit, the bad news is, the bad news is that the Lord demands you to release control of it, number one. There's no option. You and I have no more right to tell God how to do His business than a plant has a right to give us instruction. It just doesn't work that way. And so that's the bad news. Number one, you've got to give up control of your life. Here's the second thing that we need to learn if we're going to have a, a garden full of vegetables and full of fruit. Not only do we need to remember that it's God's vineyard, it's God's garden, but He's given me all the tools that I need to be successful in making sure that my life is full of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, you have a garden, you've you got to have some tools, you know. You've you, you got to have uh, a hoe, you might have a uh, a mattock or something, or you, or you might have a, a tiller. You know, you, you got to have the right tools. You know, uh, growing up, uh, I always just kind of laughed at my my granddad, and my dad a little bit because we Gilreys are known to to make a hammer do a lot of different things. You know, it wasn't intended wasn't intended on, and 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 sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But it's always better if you have the right tools. You know, it's always better. And I want us to know tonight that. God has given us the best tools in having a garden that is full of fruit. Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, there was a man, Danny Simpson. He lived in Ottawa, Canada. The year was 1990. Uh, Danny was absolutely desperate. Why? Well, he didn't have the resources he needed to survive. He was short on cash, quite frankly. So... Danny didn't know what he could do. He was out of time, he was out of options, and, and he said there's only one possibility of me getting the money I need. So he got that old gun that's been in his closet for you know a bunch of years, his family passed down from uh, generations ago, and he says, I'm going to take this gun, and I'm going to drive down to the local bank, and I'm going to rob the bank for how much money I need. I need $6,000, and I need it today. So Danny got his old gun, kind of brushed it off, had a lot of dust on it, you know, and he, and he drove down, and he held up the bank, and he says, I need $6,000, and I need it right now. Well, they began to shell out the cash, $6,000, but uh, very quickly, the police came, and Danny was arrested. He had a court date. The courtroom, they were surveying and looking over the evidence, the, the gun that he used to hold up the bank. And very quickly it came to the attention of many people who knew anything about guns, gun collectors, that this was a very unique gun. It was a 45 Colt semi-automatic. 
the kind that gun collectors salivate over. He was an antique. In fact, the gun that Danny used to rob the bank for $6,000 was made by the Ross Rifle Company in 1918, and the value of that gun, you know how much it was? $100,000. Now, why do I tell you that story about Danny Simpson in Ottawa, Canada, robbing a bank? I tell you that story because of this. Danny robbed a bank for $6,000 while the whole time holding $100,000 in his hands. Danny already knew what he needed. He already had what he needed. He already knew. But he didn't utilize the value that was in his hand. He thought that he could get more money robbing a bank than he could by selling something he owned. Now, uh, you and I... Sometimes we're like Danny, uh, not that we're going to go rob a bank or anything like that, but, but, but we're like Danny in the fact that sometimes we have in our hands what we need and we don't even realize it, you know? Sometimes we have the answer to our problem in our hands or in our phone or in our smart device and we don't even realize it. Sometimes we go to uh, worldly places seeking uh, what we think we need in our life, and we have something in our hands that could get us through that time or that hard moment or that tragedy or 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 uh, or that loss of uh, of a financial uh, crisis or or whatever. We we have the answer to all things. Doesn't the Bible say that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness? Is that a true statement? It's true. And I think sometimes in my life, I've been guilty of searching for the answer in other places besides the Bible. Part of growing fruit, part of having a a garden that is jam-packed full of fruits and and vegetables is the fact that that sometimes you and I need to learn to, to trust in God. How many of us could say that we need to trust God more in our lives? Can, can you say that? I, I can say that. Look, I'm 29 years old. I need to trust God more. And I hope when I get a little older, I, I'll have more trust for God. And the older I get, I hope I'll get to a point where I realize that, look, this is all I need. And I, I need to quit wasting time looking in the wrong places. Some of you are up in age. Um, You could write a book on maybe mistakes you've made and trusting God. You could also write a book in how that there's no other place to go except to God. Folks, you are just the branch. I am just the branch. My father is the owner of the vineyard, not us. He owns it. It's his vineyard. It's his garden. He'll make the gardening decisions. Sometimes he'll do a little pruning on you. Doesn't the Bible talk about that, how the Lord loves whom he chastens? Sometimes God will look at your life and he'll say, I'm not happy with what I see in in this area. They need to trust me more and, and I need to do a little pruning I need to do a little 
cutting back of some things. And sometimes that pruning isn't comfortable. Look, it's not always comfortable. But the Lord does it out of love. He loves whom He chastens. He makes the garden decisions. He'll do the pruning. He'll call the shots. And all we need to do, all we need to do is stay attached to the vine. Stay attached to Jesus Christ. And when you and I finally stay attached to Jesus Christ, when we quit going uh, other places and trying to find happiness or other fruits and other, other vineyards, when you and I finally figure out that He is Jesus the Christ, and I need to stay attached to His hip, I need to stay attached to the vine, and, I, and I'm a branch, and I'm going to let Him control my life, I'm going to let Him call the shots. I'm not going to argue with what needs to be done in my life. I'm going to allow Him to uh, work in me and through me that I can have the fruit of the Spirit that you, you and I, you, you have been studying, you know, the past summer. When you, when you get to that point that you realize that He is the only way to bear the fruit, the good fruit in your life, then you'll have a garden. You'll have a garden that's jam-packed with the fruit of the Spirit. There's a song that we sing sometimes, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. To mine heart to sing Thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. It's, it's a wonderful hymn. In fact, the last stanza of that song says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Well, after this song was written, there was somebody that said, you know, that's, that's not my experience. Uh, I'll change the song. So in some hymn books, it's changed. In, in some hymn books, it says, prone to worship, Lord, I feel it, prone to love the God I serve. And so I ask you tonight, which is it? Which is it in your life? Are you prone to wonder? Are you prone to leave the God you love or are you prone to worship? Are, are you prone to love the God you serve? Maybe the answer is both. Maybe the answer is both. See, we as Christians can either grow and cultivate good things. We can either grow and cultivate good things, things of the Spirit in our garden, or we can grow and cultivate rotten things of the flesh. The Bible says in Galatians 5 verse 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. How do you walk? Did you go to school to learn how to walk? No. You just learn from trial and error. Experience. This thing about walking in the Spirit, you're not going to figure it out overnight. I'm not going to figure it out overnight. This is why we have to continue to put one foot in front of the other and learn to walk in the Spirit. You say, I'm going to fall. Well, you are going to fall. Sometimes you're not going to be bearing the fruit in your life that you want to bear. You know, sometimes Rick's going to be up here preaching and you're evaluating your own life and you're saying, man, I, I, don't have it. I don't have it figured out. I don't have things together. When you're in a time like that, I, I want you to remember 
the things we talked about tonight. Remember, number one, it's not your vineyard. It's not your garden. It belongs to God. And if you'll stay attached to that vine, Jesus Christ, if you'll stay next and near and dear to His, to his heart, if you'll stay close to God, if you will walk in the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit, then at the end of your life, you, you can say, you can say, my garden is full of fruit. Tonight, I wonder if there's someone here that when you reflect back on your life, you, you realize that you're not satisfied with you're not satisfied with, with the lack of fruit, the fruitlessness in your life. I want to encourage you tonight to, to get attached to the vine if you're here and, and you've never become a child of God. If you're here and, and you want to bear the fruit of the Spirit, you know, all the things, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, all, all, all the things you studied about, you want those things in your life, but you first realize that, look, it's not my garden, it's not my vineyard, I have to be attached to the vine, and I want to be a child of God through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. You can be a part of the vine. You can be a branch. You can be attached to Jesus. Jesus said, come unto me. He wants us to seek Him. He wants us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. But it's only through Him. If we can help you tonight in any way, we're going to sing this song of encouragement, inviting anyone who needs to respond, who wants to bear more fruit, who wants to be attached to the vine, as we stand and as we sing.